We're going to pray before we uh, dive in to the message today. God, we thank you that you're here with us. Lord, we pray that today you are transforming our minds, that we're going to be renewed by your word. Lord, that you're guiding us more and more into your likeness. Lord, that you're saving us, that you're continued, you, you are saving those that are not saved and you're continually saving those that are. Lord, that you are moving us and more and more and more into that perfection. Your mighty, wonderful name. Amen. Amen. Hey, uh, if you don't know, we did, uh, there's, there's a bit of context to our new series. So we're starting a new series today. I don't know if there's a promo screen or not. No, probably not. It's fine. Um, we're starting a new sermon series today on Philippians. Now, oh, there it is. Woohoo! There is some good context. So we did Blackout Month in July, which was all about the topics that you're not allowed to talk about in society, you know, the, the sensitive topics. Then last month we did No Longer My Own. That is that we no longer live for us, but for Christ. Well, now we're going to read Philippians, which is about joy in opposition. And so there's actually a good context here is that Paul was going through some horrible stuff, that Christianity was on the nose. Right? Christianity was, was not allowed. You know, it was, it was a very hard time for Christians. And so Paul's actually in prison and the... Paul then talks about the joy that he has in following God throughout Philippians, that he is no longer his own, that he's been bought with a price. And because of that, he gets to live with joy. So it's going to be fun. But you guys already know all of that because you already read Philippians 1 this week, didn't you? Jono did. Only Jono. Yay. Woo-hoo. Nice. Okay. And, and Meg. Yes. All right. So before we, before we get started, open up to Philippians 1. We're going to read the whole of Philippians 1 today. It's not very long. That's, so before we do that, I'm going to tell a quick story because, you know, what's a, what's a message without a story, right? This morning, I was absolutely struggling to remember a time in our lives where we had joy in opposition. Right? And we, uh, Megan and I, were brainstorming and we remembered a time in 2018. Now, 2018 was one of the hardest years that we've probably ever had in our lives. Uh, for those of you that weren't around, Megan's uh, older brother and his ex-partner were going through some really tough times. And so we fostered their children for nine months. They're a uh, young boy and a young girl. And we took them in uh, in January and we had them till September. And it was a really tough time. You know, taking them in, enrolling them into school, uh, enrolling them into kinder, doing all of those things. We emptied our bank accounts to do it. We took on, obviously, tons, twice the responsibility as far as parenting was concerned. And we took on a, a relationship with somebody who has bipolar and is a, is a drug addict and another person who was dealing with uh, really severe alcoholism at the time. And so we dived into this absolute opposition, like absolute mess and stressful scenario but it was worth it because of the kids and we did it for them and I remember at the time there being so much opposition like so much money was hard and emotionally it was hard and the stress and pressure of you know doing a phone call with parents that then you had to undo all of the mess from a phone call with parents and it was tough but the other day, we were looking back on photos 
photos of the time that our kids had with their cousins and lived with them. And we were just filled with joy. We were filled with joy and we remembered the times of how fun it was to have those kids live in our house. Now, the, the miracle is that God restored uh, mum and that mum was able to get clean and she's now got the kids back and the kids are doing really well. We're going to have uh, Chloe down in the next few weeks, two weeks, um, and we're going to have her down for a little bit. And so it's going to be awesome. But she's, they're, they're both growing and maturing to be great, wonderful little kids. And so God's miracle provision was all over it. But at the time, it was hard to find the joy in opposition, but it was there. So today, we're going to start reading from Philippians 1. But before we do that, context. Now, if you're on the YouVersion Bible app, you can actually just swipe to the left. I don't know if that's... Yeah. Swipe to the left. Uh, I think that's right. Not, don't skip to the next chapter. Go back. And there's an introduction. And it actually tells you all about Philippians and the history there. But we're going to go into it a little bit here. So... Number one is that all scripture is God breathed. Right? So this is yes, Paul is the author. Yes, Paul is the one writing it, but we need to take the perspective that God is the author of Philippians, right? God is authoring through Paul. So there's some good context that we're going to pull out later. The second part is who were the Philippians? Who are these people? These are people that lived in Philippi. How good, right? Really easy. Duh. No. The Philippians were a group of people that actually the church was born about 10 years earlier than this letter was written. About 10 years earlier. The church was born out of Paul being imprisoned. We read in Acts chapter 16 that Paul's in prison and there's an earthquake and the earthquake um, rattles the doors off and frees him, and, and Paul doesn't move. And so the, uh, what's it called, jailers don't get in trouble because Paul doesn't leave. Right? And then the jailer gets saved and the church starts. Right? So this is the church that is born out of seeing the miracle. Right? So that was in Philippi. This is the church born out of seeing the miracle of Paul set free from prison. Now Paul's in prison again. Right? Now, Paul's, the, the, the historians believe this is sort of the last time that Paul was in prison and his longest stint. About 60 to 62 AD is when the, the letter is written and that Paul doesn't, he goes into house arrest and basically never comes out. Eventually dies. And so this is, this is written to a church that understands the miracle hand of God over Paul's life, particularly when it comes to imprisonment. Paul's writing, the reason why Paul is writing is, I'm going to get this name wrong, Epaphroditus. Did I get that right, Reese? No, he did this. Epaphroditus is a guy who's part of the church of Philippi and he's going back from Rome to Philippi. And so Paul sees an opportunity to write the letter to the Philippians. I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to hope someone's going to Google Epaphroditus and, uh, and I'm going to be wrong, I'm sure. But God uses this opportunity of a messenger going, Epaphroditus, I'm not going to say it again, uh, to, it uses this, this opportunity 
to author through Paul a letter that now, 2,000 years later, is still uh, such a life-changing perspective on who God is. So now we're going to break it down. If you've got the Version Bible app, this is going to be really easy because you can actually just highlight verses and change colors and all that sort of stuff. But we're going to go verse by verse. Verse 1 says, Paul and Timothy, servants of Christ Jesus. That is your first point, servants. The whole context of this letter is in the first line, Paul writes, not I that lives, Christ that lives in me. Paul writes, I am a servant of Christ Jesus, nothing more. To all God's holy people in Christ Jesus at Philippi, together with the overseers and deacons. The holy people are the congregation and the deacons and overseers are not? I don't, no, I'm joking. I'm joking. That's not a point. How does Paul know that they're holy? Because Paul knows they're filled with faith, right? Holiness through righteousness. Uh, sorry, holiness through faith. Faith through righteousness alone. Righteousness through faith alone. I'm, I'm doing all the spoonerisms today. Not enough coffee. Thank God every time I remember you in all my prayers for all of you. I always pray with joy because of your partnership in the gospel from the first day until now. Being confident of this, that he who began a good work in you will carry it on to completion until the day of Christ Jesus. God started his work. God's going to complete his work. It is God's character to complete his work in the people. Verse 7 and 8 says, It is right for me to feel this way about all of you, since I have you in my heart. And whether I'm in chains or or defending and confirming the gospel, all of you share in God's grace with me. God can testify how I long for uh, for all of you with the affection of Christ Jesus. Paul here talks about the two things that Jesus talked about as the most important. He says, love God, love, love your neighbor, right? Jesus says that those are the two most important commandments. Love God, love your neighbor. Paul, immediately, servant of Christ Jesus, all for God. God's going to do a massive work in you. God's going to complete the work in you. Keep following God and I love you. You know, I'm, I'm here to help you guys. Paul or God authoring through Paul has a great perspective here. Verse 9. Through to 11, you can highlight that section and change the color if you want. This is my prayer, that your love may abound more and more in knowledge and depth of insight, so that you may be able to discern what is best and may be pure and blameless for the day of Christ, filled with the righteousness that comes through Christ Jesus to the glory and praise of God. Paul right here, or God through Paul, is speaking righteousness and faith all over the congregation of Philippi. Love for one another, love for God, righteousness, praying over them. Why is this happening? Why is this the context? It's that God understands the consistent battle that the church of Philippi is just going through and is going to go through. God understands the battle that we go through. 
circumstance, mindsets, all of that stuff. God understands that we have to be consistently prayed over, consistently in the Word. It's, it's not enough for us as Christians to pray on Monday and then try and do the rest on our own. Be holy on Sunday and then by Friday you're feeling like a mess. God knows that we need the consistent washing of the Word. That is that we are saved and being saved. We're still in a battle and God's got us in the battle. Verse 12 through to 14 says, Now I want you to know, brothers and sisters, that what has happened to me has actually served to advance the gospel. Now, right here, Paul's talking about him being imprisoned. As a result, it has become clear throughout the whole palace guard and to everyone else that I am in chains for Christ. And because of my chains, most of my brothers and sisters have become confident in the Lord and dare all the more to proclaim the gospel without fear. Let's just move for a second that Paul imprisoned doesn't see his imprisonment and circumstance as a bad thing. Paul, uh, how many of us could get arrested tomorrow and our first thought would be, hey, this is for the glory of God. Right? Oh, hey, that's not me. I don't think, I don't think I'd have that perspective. That's a, that's a really hard perspective to have. Paul understands right here as a God perspective that he is arrested and no matter what happens, God's going to be glorified. What circumstance are you in today that you have thought there is no way God will be glorified in this and so, and so you just get mopey and blame God and, or, or walk away from Him? Because it's not imprisonment. You're here. Or, may, you know, I don't think they get live stream in prison, but, you know, you're here. If, if God can glor- be glorified in Paul's imprisonment, God can be glorified in your situation. Verse 15 through to uh, verse 18 says, It is true that some preach Christ out of envy and rivalry, but others out of goodwill. The latter do so out of love, knowing that I am put here for the defense of the gospel. The former preach Christ out of selfish ambition, not sincerely supposing that they can stir up trouble for me while I'm in chains. Obviously, if there's more people getting saved, then Paul is the one that they're going to keep pointing the finger at. But what does it matter? The important thing is that in every way, whether from false motives or true, Christ is preached. And because of this, I rejoice. God, through Paul, brings a perspective that even if the gospel is preached out of false motives, God will be glorified. Now, that's not false teachers. It's the right teaching, but false motives. How gracious God is. 
I was reminiscing with a friend the other day uh, about all the dumb things we did in youth ministry. And how I, I didn't know it, but how we relied on God's grace. Amen. And let me tell you, if, if the security footage went back that far, because there is a camera up in the corner, the security footage went back that far, there would be video footage of us having stolen shopping trolleys from Woolworths, one lined up on that side of the thing, one lined up on that side of the thing with a kid in the shopping trolley with, uh, with a youth leader on the back end of it running them into each other as a full demolition derby. No helmets, no paddock, no nothing. Just run the shopping trolleys into each other and whoever fell out of the shopping trolley was the loser. What an idiot. Oh, thank God he's gracious, right? What an idiot. Man, if Pastor Craig knew about that. He, <laughs> yeah, yeah, that's right. I might have just confessed my sins to you. God's perspective right here is that it doesn't, it, not, not that it doesn't matter. It's that even if, even if, the motives are false, or even if the motives are bad, God's going to be glorified. Wow. All that matters is that Christ is preached. Verse 18 through to 20. Paul's going to bring a certainty of God's character. He says, Yes, I will continue to rejoice, for I know that through your prayers and God's provision, and the spirit, sorry, the provision of the Spirit of Christ Jesus, what has happened to me will turn out for my deliverance. I eagerly expect and hope that in no way I will be ashamed, but will have sufficient courage. Wow. Paul's certainty of God's character, obviously through God's authorship, is no matter what the circumstance is, I won't be ashamed. It doesn't matter. The provision of the Spirit of Christ is more than enough. Verse 20 or uh, 20 and a half to 26. So that now, as always, Christ will be exalted in my body, whether by life or by death. And here, one of the most famous verses of all time. For me to live is Christ and to die is gain. If I'm to go on living in the body, this will mean fruitful labor for me. Yet what shall I choose? I don't know. I'm torn between the two. I desire to, to depart and be with Christ, which is better by far. But it is more necessary for you that I remain in the body. Convinced of this, I know that I will remain and I will continue with all of you for your progress and joy in the faith, so that through me being with you, again your boasting in Christ Jesus will abound on account of me. Paul, or God through Paul, brings the perspective of peace even in the face of death. In fact, Paul doesn't, doesn't look at death and have any fear or or any even thought, he longs for death. Not suicidally, 
He longs for death because he longs to be with Christ. Wow. Paul says, I long to be with Christ, which is better for sure. For himself. But I know that I'm still here and God's still going to do a work in me. Wow. The, The actual perspective of whatever you're going through becomes so small when you take on God's perspective. The, the thing that you're going through, and that's not to say it doesn't hurt. It's not to say that Paul in prison wasn't, that that didn't suck, right? Of course it did. And whatever you're going through, sure, it might suck. I'm not saying that. But it becomes small when you take on God's perspective that even if I was to lose my life, actually that's a gain. Is your faith there? Paul desires death not to be done with prison. Paul doesn't desire death in order to be free of his circumstance. This is how we know Paul's not suicidal, right? He doesn't desire death to be free of his circumstance. He desires death only to long to be with Christ. Only to be closer to God. Wow. Here Paul brings God's perspective on life. A life surrendered to him. No longer his own, but bought with a price. For me to live, I'll live for Christ. For me to die, awesome. Let's go. I do not suggest using this as an excuse to not go and get a doctor's checkup when your wife suggests you should go and get a doctor's checkup. This is a personal example. Sorry. You know, you should go and get a checkup, see if you're okay. Yeah, that's okay. I'm fine with dying because for me to live is Christ to die is gain. No, don't do that. Don't do that. It's not wisdom. Verse 27 through to 30. Whatever happens... So after Paul said, doesn't matter if I die, I'm good with it, but I'll probably remain around because you guys still need me. Paul says, whatever happens, conduct yourselves in a manner worthy of the gospel of Christ. Then whether I come to see you or only hear about you in my absence, I will know that you stand firm in the one spirit, striving together as one for the faith of the gospel. Without being frightened in any way by those who oppose you. This is a sign to them that they will be destroyed, but you will be saved and saved by God. For it has been granted to you on behalf of Christ, not only to believe in him, but to also suffer for him. Since you are going through the same struggle that you saw that I had and now hear that I still have. Paul says, they're going to imprison you too. But don't worry about it. You're going to be filled with joy. You're going to be filled with joy and they will be destroyed ultimately and you will be glorified when you die. Don't worry about it. It's all good. Paul brings joy. Like every good sermon, there's a so what moment. Paul says, live the way that I do after having just said to live is Christ to die is gain. He says, live the way that I do. Glorify God in life, good or bad, palace or prison. Have faith in all times. Paul, having faith, 
his, he brings people to the so what moment of whatever their circumstance is, faith is the answer. Faith brings perspective. Perspective brings joy, no matter the opposition. If you're going to write something down from today, just write that. Faith brings perspective. Perspective brings joy, no matter the opposition. The Bible says about Jesus, Jesus is our best example all the time. The Bible says about Jesus, for the joy set before him, he endured the cross. Paul here in that same headspace, for the joy he sees that imprisonment is just going to advance the gospel. It doesn't matter. Would you choose faith today that your circumstance and what you're going through can be used to advance the gospel? can be used. You, you might be having a bad time at work. Might be something going on. Issues with another employee or a manager or whatever those, those things are. Do you believe that that circumstance can be used to glorify God? Issues at home, in your marriage, with your kids. Do you have faith that God can glorify, that God will be glorified in that. We face opposition. The answer isn't always the circumstance change. Paul died, gruesome death. But before he died, he said to die was gain. We're 2,000 years on and the words spoken by God through Paul are still as true today. That no matter the opposition, faith is your answer.